It is um, my pleasure this morning to introduce our speaker to you. Trey Shepherd is associate. Oh, you've got a fun already. <laughs> he's associate pastor at Causeway Coast. He is, he's an he's an entrepreneur. He's a fantastic leader, and he's actually a father in our movement to many, particularly those um, in in worship. He, he's, he's an amazing, amazing friend of ours. And uh, Trey used to come pretty much every year and encourage us and spur us on and speak to the young people. And he has blessed the socks off of us over the years. And I know he's going to do the same for you today. So without further ado, Trey, why don't you come? Wow. Wow. Good morning. Thanks a lot. Um, I appreciate you doing that before I started because you have no idea what I'm going to do. So, um, man, it's cool to be with you guys. Um, it's cool to be here in the beach ballroom. I, 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 when, when Shannon, who works with me, mentioned where I'd be speaking, she didn't say beach ballroom. She said beach ballroom. And I had it. <laughs> I was like, whatever that is, I want to do it. I just had this image of me like in this room preaching with all these giant beach balls and you all gone mental. I, I had no idea. This is incredible. And um, one of the best parts of this for me is getting to be with Chuck and Taryn. And, um, oh, God. Chuck, I always have this conversation about how emotional you get the older you get, the more that you've done this. There is something about walking with people for years together. So many people that we dreamed with 20 years ago have fallen by the wayside. And... Um, and we, we tend to measure success over numbers and that sort of thing. But let me tell you how I think Jesus measures it. I think Jesus measures it by our perseverance. Um, the fact that since we met, we're still married to the same people. We're still raising our kids, and we are still running after Jesus. Encourages my heart at a level that I cannot tell you. And it is such an honor to be with you. And if there were, I don't know, there's what, 10, 15 people here this morning. Um, <laughs> if there were five of us here, it would be that great of an honor. But what favor is on what God has done here? And I just want to say to you too, favor is on you and favor is coming. 21 by 21 is well within God's grasp. And I, if there's anything I want to say to you this morning, this is message one, I have several. Message one, raise your expectations. He's got big dreams for little people. Big God for little people. And um, when he uses little people like us, it's clear who did the stuff. So, man, may the Lord rain favor on you. I bless you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Message one completed. All right. Message two. Are you okay? How fun was the worship time with the bouncing dance floor? I, maybe that's what was going on when they prayed and the place was shaken. Maybe they were in a ballroom, you know, a beach ballroom. Who knows? But, man, that was awesome. And it's incredible, this sense of momentum, what God is doing it's incredible, you know, I know what's happening across the church in Scotland, and to gather here and to see so many of you gathered here in the name of Jesus, and just the excitement and the momentum of what Jesus is doing. But let me tell you, this is not it. What we want to see is we want to see a nation swept by the presence of Jesus. Again, he's done it before, and, and we want to gather here this morning and say, Lord, do it again, and do it with us. Do it with us. We're a big, messy, chaotic bunch, but 
You've been using messy, chaotic people since the beginning of time. Do it with us. So this morning, I want to speak to you about multiplication, mission, and maturity, and also how to change the world, part one and part two. Okay? Um, (laughs) It's all one big message. Don't worry. We're going to begin in Genesis and then work our way verse by verse all the way through. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. So can we just start with a quick question and answer time? Is that all right? Don't actually... Um, ask me questions. I'm going to ask you questions. And the way you answer is by going, hey! All right? So it's really simple. Is that okay? Yeah, all right. Some of the more traditional people are like, he does not sound Irish. And it's true. It's, it's true. I am, I'm only Irish by living there for such a long time. Um, I'm clearly, clearly German. So um, now what I want to ask you is this. So if we talk about those things of multiplication, mission, and maturity, what do you think comes first? Oh, yeah. <laughs> well done. Well done. Was that my single fan? I think my mom's here. You know, we've got Trey speaking, one person. Woo! Thank you, mom. You know, awesome. So who, who thinks that mission, that, that mission comes first? Okay, one person. Wow, bold. Anyone think multiplication comes first? Oh, my word. One person. Who thinks maturity comes first? Okay, well, you're all wrong. (laughs) And that's the message. Now, but generally, friends, here's the thing, is that so often what we believe is that maturity is the beginning of our journey. That we meet Jesus, and then what happens is that Jesus gets us ready to be used, and that we go through this huge process of being matured, and then finally, and during that process, so many fall away and are weeded out, and then finally just one or two make it through, and we send off those mature believers to do mission that will hopefully one day multiply. But the problem is is that when we look at Jesus' model, what we see is something completely, utterly different. Jesus did something completely different. Let me read to you from Matthew chapter 10, verse 1. And um, I think the guys have verses. Or is a verse going to come up on the screen? Yeah, did you see that? I snapped and it happened. That's power, people. All right? Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. Now, I just want to put this to context in the book of Matthew. In Matthew 9 is when Matthew himself gets called to be a disciple. So in the next chapter, Jesus sends them out. None of us would say this is a good plan, right? Because look at the the gang of misfits and 'er ne'er-do-wells that he gathered. What is a 'er ne'er-do-well? How often do they do well? 'er. Ne'er. Okay? So this is is who he's, he's gathered. Look at his crew. Look at the posse that he's just sent out and unleashed upon the people. All right? There's 12 of them. They're younger than we believe, okay? The more that we study and the more that history teaches us and the more that we read ancient writings and stuff, the more that we recognize that some of them were probably quite young. They may have been 13 or 14. That's why James and John's mother came to ask a question. It wasn't like they were just really, really immature 30-year-olds, okay? You know, because we all have that, we see the disciples and we always think they're like really old, you know? Like in all our children's Bibles, the disciples are like, you know, Jesus is super white with blonde hair, Right? And her children's Bibles. And the disciples, slightly darker, but big beards. You know, big, big beards, right? And, and yet, they seem old. But in the stories, actually, probably Peter was the oldest. They were obviously, many of them, quite young. They were still working with their father, James and John, when they were called. And if you look at the crew that he gathered, look at them. One of them is a doubter. And he's not 
not just any kind of doubter. He's the doubter who says big things and then goes into big doubt. He's so like vacillates. James and John are called the sons of thunder. Not because when they walked in the room, they were like, hey, oh. I mean, because they were constantly like causing trouble. They were hot-headed and argumentative and quite young. Peter literally just opened his mouth to change feet all the time. Peter, Peter is literally the only person in all of the scriptures who is interrupted by all three members of the Trinity and told to be quiet. <laughs> Alone in history does Peter have this. And Jesus is like, he's perfect. One of them is a thief and will betray Jesus. Hello? One of them is a tax collector working with the oppressive government. And one of them is a zealot who is bound to carry a dagger to kill tax collectors. This makes the perfect team. I mean, you can see this. Do you understand what I'm saying? I mean, to try to put it into context now, it's like somebody with like one of those Trump hats on and someone from Antifa. You guys will be a great team, you know? We're, we're here. Someone who's really into Brexit and someone who really doesn't like Brexit because we're so tribalized now, aren't we? Yeah? You guys all hate that feeling at dinner parties, don't you? When people are talking at the beginning and you're trying to figure out, which side are they on so I don't ruin this dinner party, right? <laughs> Every meeting of the disciples must have felt that way, okay? This is who he gathered. And then he looked at them and he went, I'm giving you authority. Go. <laughs> Go. If I brought that kind of mission team before my church and went, look at this group I've gathered. <laughs> We're about to send them out to cast out demons and heal the sick. My church would in mass stand up and go, be gone and walk off. And I think, you know, it'd be like Ichabod. You know, I mean, it would honestly. And, but yet this is what Jesus does. They're not even Christians yet. Think about it. Think about it. Okay, you're still okay? All right, you don't, don't let your theology fall completely apart this morning, okay? But they're not Christians yet. Jesus has not yet. They're following Jesus, but they don't even truly understand who he is fully, right? They're convinced that he's like amazing and he's doing some stuff, but they're not convinced he's God yet. Clearly not. They don't even really understand what he's talking about when he talks about the kingdom of God. They still think at some minute he's going to take off this kind of, you know, odd job carpenter guy thing and go, I'm golden king. And, and that's not what he does at all. You know why they're so surprised when he's crucified? Because he got crucified. <laughs> Their maturity level is nil. And yet Jesus goes, go now. <laughs> what is Jesus showing us? Jesus is showing us that there's a different method of maturity and we see it in the chap in the book of luke in chapter 8 i'm going to read you this parable i'm sure you've heard it before the parable of the sower and just one of the key verses is going to come up in a second but here's what happens jesus told the people a parable this is in uh, verse 5 of chapter 8 a farmer went out to sow his seed as he was scattering the seed some fell along the path it was trampled on and the birds ate it up some fell on rocky ground and when it came up the plants withered because they had no moisture other seed fell among the thorns which grew up with it and choked the plants still other seed fell on good soil and it came up and it yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown so Jesus points out there that the successful seed was the one that yielded a crop that was a hundred times more than the seed that was sown. And then the disciples are like, uh, what? Because that's a great thing that the disciples constantly do. Jesus does these parables and the disciples go, uh-huh, uh-huh. What? 
And then Jesus like explains it deeper to them. And that's what he goes on to hear. This is the meaning of the parable. I'm in verse 11 now. See, the seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear. And then the devil comes and takes away the word from their heart so they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. The seed that falls among the thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, as they go on their way, they're choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. You see that? It's not that they mature and then they're choked. It's as they go on their way, they're meant to mature, but they don't. Listen to the last bit of this. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and then by persevering, produce a crop. And what Jesus is getting at there is his model is that actually the, the pathway to maturity is multiplication. That mission and multiplication are our pathway into maturity. But the problem is, is that we've actually done exactly the opposite. What we do is we try to get people mature before we dare send them out. And that process changes us. Jesus points this out again. Listen, listen to this astounding moment. You all are familiar, I'm sure, with the Great Commission. Yes? Yes? Y'all are quite religious folks up in Scotland. So I, I live in a very religious place in Northern Ireland. I come from a very, very religious place. I'm actually Baptist. Steady. 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 It's okay. It's okay. All right. Now I'm vineyard. I, I don't know what I am. I'm just a follower of Jesus. I got, you know, part of my church is Catholic. Part of my church is whatever. Part of, I got people from all kinds. And most people just didn't know Jesus at all. And now they're not sure. They, they're like, why do you do the hand thing? How do you know when to raise your hands? Is it during the karaoke time only? Or I'm not joking. We're so focused on people coming to Jesus, you know? And sometimes we have to explain these things, you know? <laughs> if you ever visit our church, we explain every Sunday. You may see people raising their hands during the time that we're singing that we call worship. It's just something inside that is being shown on the outside, and people are like, oh, okay. So do we sing during the karaoke? Yes, everyone sings, okay? <laughs> but here's what happens. The Great Commission is this moment where Jesus gives and it's right before jesus ascends into heaven and, and that's a dramatic thing to do before you when you like if i finished the message today and said amen and then went and ascended into heaven you guys would be like that was a good word i <laughs> i didn't like the jokes but the word strong right okay so matthew 28 here's the moment okay and, and, and listen to this scripture in its context for me okay we're going to start in verse 16 there. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee and to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. Verse 17, listen to this. And when they saw him, they worshiped, but some doubted. Now I want to stop there. Isn't that a crazy verse? And have you seen it before? Jesus has raised from the dead. He has spent three years with these guys. Would you think that a three-year discipleship program with Jesus would be strong? Yes is the answer. Okay, uh, yes, yes. Okay, people are like, well, I don't know. Chuck is very good. I, <laughs> I'm not saying, I'm just, you know, okay. Three years with Jesus. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, this will be the first and the last time I speak for you, so enjoy. But... <laughs> They, they spend three years with Jesus. They see Jesus do astounding miracles. Astounding miracles. 
They, they are there when he's crucified. Well, one of them is at least. The rest of them are hiding, but they know that he's been crucified. He, he appears to them in, in several occasions after his resurrection, including eating food in front of them to prove, because, you know, the, 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 the Jews were obsessed with ghosts. You know, every time they saw something they couldn't understand, they'd be like, it's a ghost. Remember when he's walking across the water and they're like, it's a ghost. And Jesus is like, it's, it's not, it's me. Dudes, what, what is wrong with you guys, right? Constantly. But that, that's just, a, that was a very modern translation of what happens in the, in the Greek there, okay? Dudes? Okay. Yeah, that's so much meaning right there, isn't it? All right. So he is in, in every stage, but here at this moment, at this moment, post-resurrection, this is still. Now, can you imagine Jesus going, all right, can you imagine someone getting a ministry report? How did the three-year program go? Well, I mean, the ministry was strong. There were miracles, and I got killed, and now I'm alive. That was strong. Um, but out of my followers, one of them uh, betrayed me and tried to kill me, then killed himself. So that didn't go great, you know? And I've got these 11 left. Well, how are they feeling? Half and half. <laughs> Some worshiped and some doubted. Why is that good news? Because let me tell you something. What Jesus is about to say applies to you this morning, whether you came here fired up, ready to go, ready to plant a church, or you came here this morning holding on to one shred of faith, or maybe you came here this morning because your friend said it's a cool concert down at the beach ballroom. <laughs> He's looking for losers and misfits, miscreants and ne'er-do-wells. You know why? Because that's who he's always been choosing. That's his people. He's looking for us with all our rubbish. Not because he wants us to stay that way, but because he knows that when he pours his Holy Spirit onto us, he takes us on a journey, and that journey, as we walk out in mission, and as we begin to see multiplication, that journey is the way that we actually become mature. And so then Jesus says these words to those that were there, worshiping some, doubting others. Then Jesus came to them and he said, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And in that moment there, what Jesus calls them to do is to disciple, say it, this is the interactive part, disciple People are still going, woo! Disciple nations, that's your line. Disciple nations. Yeah, you guys, incredible. Biblical scholars, all of you, okay? All right. Go, therefore, and make disciples of nations. Now, in the Greek, what it says there is pantata ethne. And that means all of the ethnicities, all of the languages. In some translations, it says to the Gentiles, but that's not, uh, that's not what is contained there in the Greek. It's, it's this idea of all the peoples, all the languages, and what Jesus isn't saying is to go make disciples of a few people. He's saying going disciple nations, right? But the problem is, is that what we often do is we take the Great Commission and we practice the Great Reduction, right? We take what should be missional and we try to make it manageable. Because in our lives we can imagine that we might be able to disciple one or two people. But the idea of discipling a city, discipling a nation, that just seems, woo, impossible. And you know what? It is supposed to be impossible. Because here's the great danger, friends. The great danger is that we think with our strategies and our good events and our good things that we can build something and we might just get away with it. 
But if we're going to disciple nations, what we are all aware of is our limitation and our inability to do it. And that is where that gap is where the Holy Spirit steps in and begins to use us as people who disciple nations and don't settle for just discipling people. See, Jesus was always on this tip. Do you remember in Luke 10 when he sends out the 72? You know, Jesus was big on his numbers. He knew what he was doing. Jesus had reasons for why he did what he did. He called 12 disciples to represent the 12 tribes of Israel. The reason he sent out 72 is because the Jews at that time believed there were only 72 nations in the whole world. And what Jesus was trying to demonstrate, that even one of you with his power and the Holy Spirit on you is enough to disciple a nation. And if you believe something less than this morning, come to the truth and believe who you are. Not because you're any good. You're quite rubbish, actually, but he's amazing. I mean that for me, too. It's not like me saying you're, do you understand that? This is an incredible thing that we see in the scriptures. He sent the 72 because that's what the Jews believed. The reason they believed it is because Noah had 72 grandsons, and they thought, well, that must be all the nations of the world. So Jesus went, how many people am I sending out? 72. That should cover it with my authority, in my resurrection life, and filled by my Holy Spirit. Why is this important? Because see, what happens is when we take the missional and we try to make it manageable, and when we focus on the perfection of the individual rather than the transformation of the entire city and the entire nation, then what happens is what we do is we foster something that turns introspective rather than expansive. And when it turns introspective, it becomes a consumer event very quickly, doesn't it? And we start saying things like this. How was church for you this morning? Well, the worship wasn't that good for me. And whenever people say that to me, the worship wasn't that good for me, I go, I don't know if you noticed, but we weren't singing to you. <laughs> that would have been your first clue. <laughs> it wasn't for you. I'm not getting fed. This is not a restaurant. <laughs> gently, gently. I'll be, on a, I'll be on a train soon. Don't worry. It's okay. <laughs> you guys can all go to the station and go, bye! <laughs> bye! <laughs> This isn't a restaurant. This isn't where you're fed. This is where your appetite is wet for what the Holy Spirit is firing within you. And we've settled for trying to perfect ourselves instead of trying to transform our nations. And the gospel message is this. Go and make disciples of all nations. Because see, everyone can disciple people. It doesn't take the Holy Spirit to disciple someone, does it? One kid at my school discipled my whole school. I went to school in 19... Okay? And during that time... I'm very, very old. Older than you can imagine. I really am. During that time was when the Nike Cortez running shoe was invented. Do you know the Nike Cortez shoe? You should because it is iconic. It's the same shoe that Ferris Bueller wore. Okay? But this was long before the Ferris Bueller movie came out. And this one kid at my school came in one day and he had on the white leather Nike Cortez shoes with the red swoosh. But we weren't cool. We called them Nikes. And I said, hey man, cool Nikes. And in my heart I went, I want to be him. <laughs> and every other boy at my school felt the same way. And within a week, this kid, by simply walking in and being like, what up? We had all become his disciples. Except I was poor, so I didn't have Nikes. I had fakies with the swoosh going the wrong way. And I walked in shame. Mom, these are not the things, okay? <laughs> I was willing to make any sacrifice to get to the real things. I worked, mowed lawn, saved money until I got my own real Nike Cortez shoes. And now, 
This morning I'm wearing, you know, I don't boots, but normally I just wear Nike Cortez shoes. Why? Because I was so effectively discipled by this kid. Did it take the power of the Holy Spirit? No. It took some cool running shoes. Discipling another person isn't that big of a deal. Discipling a nation demands the Holy Spirit's active presence in our life and our desperation on his strategy and his ability rather than our good ideas and our cool events and our better songs. Discipling nations doesn't mean that we get more people in here. It means that more people out there are transformed. It means that we don't want to just build big churches. We want to build better cities, right? Now, that church should grow in that process. But my fear is that sometimes what happens is that we're so good at our strategies that what we could do is grow our churches and our cities could shrink into death. And here's the thing. That's not an option for us because the call of Jesus is go and make disciples of all nations. You know, one guy who discipled me really effectively a guy called Paul Howalt. And I'll never forget the reason that most of my life became what it became is because of this one guy, Paul Howalt. And this is a year that my parents were working with YWAM. We were living in Hawaii. And Lord, I will go again. Here am I. Send me to Hawaii. Lord, Northern Ireland is close but wet. Sorry, just my personal prayer time in front of you, okay? But that year, Paul Howalt was my, like, he was like the worship leader at the little school I went to. I was about 16. And one day, and Paul had an ovation guitar with a round back because it was the 80s, and boy, it was cool. And one day, I walked down to this fountain area, and Paul Howalt was sitting there, he had kind of cool, long, blonde hair, and he had his ovation guitar, and he was singing a song. And there were about eight teenage girls gathered around him, and I went, whatever that skill is, I want it. <laughs> and so I went to Paul, and I went, do you think you could teach me how to do that? And he went, yeah, I could teach a few things. And so he taught me two chords in one song, I Will Call Upon the Lord. Do you guys know that song? Some of you do. You guys in the front row, you people are like, what is that? Is that Bethel? No, it's not. It's, no. it's not, my friends. It's Maranatha music. Only available on cassette. You know what a cassette is? No, you don't. You don't. I don't know if you can still stream this song, all right? But I will call upon the Lord. It's amazing because it took two chords. D, G. And you could go, I will. Switch to the G. Call upon the Lord. Now, I learned those two chords in that one song, and then I went on a mission trip. And as YWAM does, if you're familiar with Youth of the Mission, on the trip, someone went, does anyone know how to sing any songs? And someone went, Trey knows I will call upon the Lord, and I became the worship pastor of the trip. <laughs> and our worship times looked like this. I'd be like, we're going to gather and sing. And people were like, I know what we're going to sing. <laughs> and I'd be like, let's just rejoice. And real fast version, I will call upon the Lord. And then we'd finish that. And then I'd be like, let's just draw hearts closer to God. Start finger picking. I will. <laughs> and then, man, when the presence got really heavy, I'd just do a spoken word version. I will call upon the Lord, okay? I mean, I'm not making this up, all right? But that is what began my journey with this. I had a couple of minutes of here's a couple of chords. And you know what? The thing, I live in Northern Ireland now because I, in the music industry and all those things, it's like God led me there. I didn't even know this church that I'm now one of the, the lead, you know, one of the senior uh, leaders of. I didn't even know it existed when I moved to Northern Ireland. But that thing that Paul did, what it did is it put something in me. And it wasn't something that he had to keep building in me. On the journey, I grew into maturity and it opened the door for the rest of my life and everything that I've done with all of my life, all the things that God has called me into. And I've gotten to be a part of getting to partner with the King of Kings in shaping nations. Started because I learned two chords and one song. Was I mature enough to be a worship leader? Absolutely not. Was I ready to be a worship leader? No. I wasn't even ready to play the guitar. 
the early worship times took a long time because it took so long for me to switch between chords. You know, I will wait for it. Shush. Ready. Call upon. Yeah, okay. The thing is, is that it's on the journey that we grow into maturity. And see, the thing is, is that what we see is we see this carrying on in the body of Christ. Paul does the same thing. Look at what happens. On, on the, on the, this is when Paul, when, when Paul goes towards Ephesus. This is an astounding moment in the scriptures for me. Paul is on the edge of Ephesus, one of the most influential cities of that era. It's a city that is filled with great wickedness, a city that is filled with great need. It is a mission field that is titanic. And on the outskirts of the city, in chapter 19 of Acts, this is what happens. Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples. And in verse 2 it says, he asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, we didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. I know you don't believe me. That's why the scripture is right there. <laughs> I mean, this is literally what happened. Paul's like, I need a team. Have you received the Holy Spirit? Holy who? Okay, get ready. And he prays for them to receive the Holy Spirit. And then that team goes into Ephesus and in the space of three years, literally turns the city right side up for the kingdom of God. Unbelievable signs and wonders begin to happen. There's such an incredible move of God. There's that a, a crazy story where these guys start trying to do the stuff. They, they think that it's the methodology, right? Because we think it's the methodology. If I just find the right conference to go to, if I get the right prophetic word, if I read the right book, and I finally do the right study, and for heaven's sakes, learn some Greek, right? Right? Because, you know, you can't possibly follow Jesus if you can't speak Greek. Hello? Uh-huh. We put up all these barriers, and the Holy Spirit says, come. Come on. I'm not ready. <laughs> no one is. We're about to go do the impossible with the pathetic. <laughs> Don't tweet that, okay? I, this is where I get in trouble. <laughs> Great word for Trey this morning. We're going to do the impossible with the pathetic. But isn't that us? Aren't we the pathetic called to do the impossible? And yet Jesus says, come follow me. One day Jesus gets in the boat of Peter and his whole world gets changed. Jesus steps into our boat and says, hey, leave those nets and things and we're going to go do something different. I'm about to make you into something different. Over that three years in Ephesus, it's extraordinary because the people think it may be the methodology. So these seven sons of Siva try to do the thing they've seen Paul doing. But see, Paul isn't running a methodology. Paul is just obeying the Holy Spirit and moving in the Holy Spirit's power. So they try it out. They get this demon-possessed guy in a room. You can read this later. It's in Acts. They say to him, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, come out. And the demon answers them and says, I know Jesus, I know Paul. Who the heck are you? And then the guy beats them up so badly they run out of the house naked and bleeding. And on that day, they discovered it was not a methodology. Right? And here's what's amazing in that moment. From that story alone, there's such, it says, it says the name of Jesus grew in such fame. Not the name of Paul and his methodology. The name of Jesus grew in fame. And later, 20,000 days' wages of occult material and wicked things were burned. And the people began to shift. And the city ends in a riot because God's kingdom has brought such incredible order to the chaos of evil that city had been living under. The city is transformed. That city is now a ruin. But the church that began there in that time is still there. There's still people of Jesus still embracing the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives. 
And what's extraordinary to me is that when Paul leaves, after the riot, Paul leaves. And, and this is what it says at, the, at Acts 20, verse 1. <laughs> this is Paul's sort of last-minute training for the team. Are you ready for this? Okay. When the uproar had ended, Paul sent for the disciples and after encouraging them, said goodbye. Paul, this course was rubbish, right? We've just had a riot. It's been three years. I received the Holy Spirit on the outskirts of town. We have been on this incredible journey with the Holy Spirit. Now, Paul, what do we do now? Paul goes, you're doing great. Bye. <laughs> Let's not take what's meant to be multiplicational and missional and try to make it manageable. Let's not take what's supposed to be impossible and try to make it possible what we're capable of. We need a work of the Holy Spirit within us. You know why? Because what we don't need is a few good leaders. We need a bunch of leaders. If God's going to sweep across this nation, we don't just need a Joshua and a Caleb. We need a whole people who say we are crossing into the promised land. Yes, there's giants, but we're not grasshoppers anymore. Somebody. Amen. Just in case you don't trust me, I, I know you do. I don't mean it that way. I'm, I'm being a little facetious there. Okay? <laughs> I think that you guys are out there going, this guy, he's making that stuff up, right? <laughs> listen to this. And I'm going to leave you this before we just, we're going to just invite the Holy Spirit to come in a few minutes. But listen to this in Mark 5. This story is crazy. A demon-possessed man. This is one of the really um, famous demon-possessed man stories, okay? A man with an impure spirit comes out from the tombs to meet Jesus. This is, I'm in verse 2 there of chapter 5. This man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons in his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. And when Jesus speaks to him, he says that his name is Legion because there's so many demons. And Jesus sets him gloriously free. But what's powerful to me is this next story, the, the next bit of the story in verse 19 there. The man asks, can I go with you? And Jesus doesn't let him go, but he says, no, you go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. In the next verse, so the man went away and began to tell in Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and the people were amazed. Can you imagine this morning if we commissioned a man who on the way in you saw out there cutting himself with stone and howling? And as we came in, we went, in the name of Jesus, be freed. And then we went, now, <laughs> church, we're going to commission him to go back to his town and tell the good news. You'd be like, he should do at least one course. <laughs> I, I just... <laughs> I love the releasing, but... what Jesus does he always does on the way Scotland doesn't just need 21 new churches from your movement by 2021 Scotland needs a wave of leadership that goes out unready leadership that demands the work of the Holy Spirit for it to come to fruition leadership that knows they have to be on their faces before God because they don't have any good strategy leadership that is so grateful they haven't lost the joy of their salvation and trying to get themselves mature they're still amazed that they've been saved that's the jesus way why because he said it is better for me to go because i'm going to send my holy spirit 
And friends, we're here this morning because at the end of Jesus' ministry, you know, when you travel around and you go to other places, and when you meet with other church leaders and all that kind of stuff, and I try not to travel much. I'm super committed to where I live, Colerain, the city of champions. I just love what God is doing there. We're seeing God move. It's such a, I, I can't believe I get to do it. I can't believe it every day I wake up. So grateful to God. But when you travel around, sometimes you talk to other pastors and stuff, and they say things like, what are your numbers? <laughs> and I've always tried to imagine how Jesus would answer that question. Well, the ministry, you know, <laughs> Jesus, what are your numbers now that you've finished your three years? I got 120 people waiting. 120? Must not have been great ministry. Well, I mean, I did raise from the dead. That was good. And I fed a lot of people. I turned water into wine. I walked on water. See that? See, sometimes what we think is that if we do those things, the numbers will grow. <laughs> but those things are just the fruit of a Holy Spirit-empowered life. We don't gather for healing. We gather for Jesus, and healing happens. What we want to see most of all is not just healings in the streets, but transformation of our nations. Healing will follow that. Why? Because the Holy Spirit always brings those things with him. We want to seek Jesus not just for what's in his hands, but for what's in his heart. And on the way, he will lead us. Jesus' ministry was incredibly unsuccessful by the matrix that we usually measure. And I guess, friends, the thing that I keep thinking of is this, is um, when people say, how are your numbers? People are obsessed with the numbers that we have because, you know, we're big. And I just want to be able to answer their multiplying. It's messy. <laughs> it's messy. But they're multiplying. And my great prayer is that God would do it again. You know, God was ready to take the Israelites into the promised land. And Joshua and Caleb and Moses were ready, but the people weren't. And friends, right now, the thing is, is that especially as things begin to grow, when you start to get momentum, what you could do is go, well, it's enough that Chuck and Taryn are fired up, that we're sending out these other people, that these churches are being planted. But here's the thing. If we want to see the nation's disciple, it's going to take us all, all the misfits and miscreants and ne'er-do-wells, for us to finally get over ourselves enough to go, it really has been about you all along, Jesus, and I'm done with all my ideas. And I got all this junk, but I'm going to go on the way with you. <laughs> then I'm going to invite the Holy Spirit in. And I'm just going to keep getting up and persevering and every day obeying you. And I'm going to actually believe that I'm here to disciple nations. Because you said it. It wasn't my idea. It was your idea. My idea would have been much smaller. <laughs> I'll disciple four or five people, maybe. But his idea and his empowerment is to do that. So how do you change the world? Part one. <laughs> we embrace the work of the Holy Spirit. We recognize the work of the Holy Spirit for what it's here for, to form us into the image and the life and the resurrection of Christ Jesus. That the work of the Holy Spirit is not here to make our meetings exciting at the end or just to bring healings or prophetic words. Those are all fruits of the work of the Holy Spirit, but fundamentally what the work of the Holy Spirit is is to form us into the sort of people who disciple nations. And they did it. That 120 they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and 2,000 years later, we are here in the beach ball room because of that people movement. They didn't have a strategy. They didn't have iPhones. They didn't have planes. 
they didn't have even cassette tapes. <laughs> Thomas, a doubter. A doubter. Called Jesus out. <laughs> when I see the holes, I'll believe. Jesus appeared in the room. Um, amazing way to enter the room. Chuck, you should try that. If you, could, you guys could, Taryn, if you could ever figure that one out. When your team's all gathered together, where are those guys? Peace be with you. You just appear in the middle of the room. That's like, oh, <laughs> right? Jesus appears and reinstates Thomas, and Thomas goes to India and disciples a nation. Hello? It costs him his life, but he disciples a nation. And the move of God that's going on in India today can be traced back to one man who was carrying the kingdom of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. What nation is yours? What nation is mine? In John 20, Jesus says, he calls the disciples to him and it says this, he breathed on them and they received the Holy Spirit. And what we're going to do now is we're going to take a moment and invite the Holy Spirit to come. And it's as natural as breathing. We're not going to shout and yell. I mean, you might. I don't mind if you do. But, I mean, we're not, we don't have to beg for this. This is the free gift because of the resurrection life of Jesus. This is what he sent us, that we can breathe in. And then we can breathe out life that actually begins to disciple and shape nations. Why don't we stand together? How to Change the World, part one. We embrace the full work of the Holy Spirit, empowering us to live the resurrection lives that disciple nations. How to Change the World, part two. We go and do it. So let's just take a moment to quiet ourselves. Holy Spirit, come. Even as I pray those words, I, I'm not saying the Holy Spirit hasn't been here and he's certainly rushing in. He's been with us. He's sensed his presence with us since I walked in this room this morning. He's been here with us. But Holy Spirit, come even more. Increase your presence here. Increase your presence. I don't know how you guys do this. Um, and if I mess this one up, you know, it's okay. I'll be gone soon. <laughs> but I just want to give you a chance. Uh, this morning, why don't you just bow your heads for a second to close your eyes. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, and you got, I don't know, you maybe came along with a friend or something, and you're going, actually, <laughs> that's what I want. I want that thing. And you want to start a journey with Jesus this morning. You want to give your yes to Jesus for the first time, or for the first time in a long time, you're like, actually, I remember who I'm supposed to be because of who he is. If that's you, can you just raise your hand? I'm not going to do, ask you to do anything. I just want you to be brave for a second. I try to never leave a room without a chance for people to start a journey. I see you. I see you. Anybody else? Be brave. We're going to go quick. I see you, brother. I see you. Anybody else? Come on. How good was that? Two people. I see you, sister. Anybody else? You know today's the day. I'm not trying to put you in pressure. All right. Wow. Three more. Our numbers are growing. <laughs> the family arises more. Now you three, you just met Jesus in this moment. Time to go. <laughs> Time to go. So let's, let's pray for the Holy Spirit to come. And for the rest of us, this morning, in this morning, this, in this room right now, there are some of you who know your leaders and you know you need more. You know you, you're, you're, you're running out of your strategy and you're tired already. And this morning, what you need is you need the Holy Spirit's empowering and filling in a way that you haven't yet known. 
If that's you, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands or anything. Maybe just, I don't know if y'all do this here, but put your hands out in front of you just a little bit. And we're just going to pray right now. Holy Spirit, come and fill these empty hands. God, I need more of you. All our little cool messages and stuff and our strategies, they are not enough for my city of cold rain. I need something. I am the pathetic asking for the impossible this morning. Holy Spirit, come. I thought there was one more thing the Lord, and again, it's just my sense of what the Lord is saying. It, you know, it wasn't like I heard in an audible voice. But I feel like there's some of you this morning, and you have been in this process, and you're like, I'm not ready. And here's what I want to say to you this morning. <laughs> it's time to go. It's time to step out. We break the chains of fear right now. We break the chains of mistaken identity where you're believing you're a grasshopper and you see giants. And right now, in the name of Jesus, what I say is this. You are a grasshopper, but thank God he is big. And if you know this is a moment for you where it is time for you to, stake, to step out of that old identity and to step into some new identity, if that's you, just receive from the Holy Spirit right now as he moves. Let's just wait on him for just a moment. Holy Spirit, come. Come increase your presence here. Increase your power.